This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Friday morning on the podcast. We've got some news to talk about. Derek Peterson here, and I've got a nice group with me. I've got Greg Smith, our recruiting guy, and I've got Jacob Padilla, our basketball guy and resident high school hoops uh, fanatic. Sure. That works. Yeah. Greg, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. Jacob? Doing well. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Everybody good? Back-to-back weeks. It's- after two uh, two times in five months, yeah. he's going to be back on. Oh, <laughs> oh, wow. He was ready to go with that one. Man. You know, I was not going to mention that you were late to this. <laughs> but after that, you were an hour late. So we've got some news to talk about on this podcast and not just the bombshell that Yahoo Sports just dropped. Well, not bombshell. I don't think anybody's surprised by it. Um, first, this is no longer the, the Views from the Other Side podcast. This is now... The Varsity Club podcast, and it's lit. Uh, this is when I took this piece of content over. It was a written weekly Q and A with an opposing beat writer each week during the football season, and now it is a full blown year long podcast. We're going to do it every week throughout the year. We're going to have Jacob, hopefully, if he wants to continue coming. Uh, we'll have Greg to offer. All kinds of updates. I can do a lot. Yeah, we can have Greg on here. We can talk about the Lakers. We'll try to get... <laughs> we'll try to get Brandon Vogel on here a little bit more because uh, he was he, awesome. <laughs> he's always down to join the True True Crimes podcast, yeah. and uh, and we're gonna have. Will you get the better? At yeah, yes. I think so. And we'll we'll have uh, some some guests, some cool guests. I've got a couple ideas this week. We are kicking it off with a guy that I think everybody will know. He's got name recognition. Uh, Stuart Mandel, editor in chief of the All-American at The Athletic is going to be joining the show in a little bit. We'll get his thoughts on Nebraska ball and their tournament chances. Uh, So we'll talk to him here in a little bit. But right now, as we're recording this, kind of the fallout of Yahoo Sports report that uh, I've got 28 teams that I recognized and a bunch of players that have been named uh, in this FBI investigation into just... Lots of money being doled out to amateurs. Uh, so I guess I just want to get your guys' thoughts on what the news has come out. Like, I've got 28 teams listed. Duke, North Carolina, Texas, Kentucky, Kansas, Michigan State, USC, Alabama, NC State, Seton Hall, Maryland, Creighton, Florida, Stanford, Villanova. I mean, the list goes on and on. Like, if you, if you talk major hitters in college basketball they're named in this i mean you're basically that's probably you're probably gonna have like what 10 of the sweet 16 (laughs) that are that were named in this thing um that's kind of the thing that immediately jumps out to me about this whole thing is that how widespread everything is like i'm not necessarily surprised that it's happening but this is touching everywhere like there really aren't very many places that have been saved from this and it's funny we were talking a little bit about this beforehand and i feel 
feel the reason why I've always said that teams that were good were cheating um, as well is because once one team does it, you kind of have to continue to do it just to keep up. Um, so, and that's kind of what we've seen in this. Like, I, I'm very curious to see what the NCAA, if anything, really, because I never hold my breath about the NCAA being able to do anything, uh, ends up coming from this. Yeah, and I mean, these coaches, I mean, their jobs are on the line. If you have two, three bad seasons in a row, at one of these major programs, you're probably going to be out the door. And the thing about this uh, um, report, too, is it's not necessarily implicating all these teams as paying players. It's pretty widespread in terms of players, coaches, like it's all all different kinds of things in this report. It feels like it's more players and then agents outside of university control in most instances than it is actual school officials or coaches on teams acting in this. But there are some. There are some, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Surprise, surprise, Tom Izzo was named as a coach that met with Charles or Christian Dawkins. I can't remember the Uh, name. Christian Dawkins. Christian Dawkins, one of the assistants uh, on his expense report, has lunches or dinners with Tom Izzo. Oh, and Villanova coaches are mentioned there too, and that's kind of interesting to me just based on the way that Villanova recruits. Like they get the occasional five star, like one every two years, one every three years, somewhere in that range. But they mostly kind of make their hay with high four stars or kind of under underrated three stars that they develop into really good players. So that was kind of interesting that Villanova was one of those teams that was mentioned in the report by well, name. Kyle Lowry was named. Yeah. As somebody that got money, that's what got me too. Is that how far back we went? Yeah. There's yep. guys that have been in the NBA for you know eight years that are, in yeah. the, that are named in this report. But then of course you know we got to laugh at a couple of the schools not exactly getting their money's worth. USC, um, yeah, like half their exactly team has been paid well. for. Yeah, not exactly doing well with this. Though I've said this for a long time, USC should be much better in basketball than they actually are. Paying guys are not like there are too many good players in California for them not to be any good. Yeah, you were just talking about this before we went on the air, how it's almost unacceptable that UCLA is good at basketball and USC is not. Yeah, like think about how many, think about the top guys in the NBA. There's a good amount of them that are from California and a lot of them from like the Los Angeles area in particular. It's unfathomable to me that you end up having USC not be any good at all. Though I guess they tried to do this with OJ Mayo, right? Did they end up getting in a situation with that? So they've tried to play the game a little bit here. It just has not worked out for them. They're picking the wrong guys. A point that you guys both brought up that I think we should hit back on was that if one team starts doing it, everybody's going to start doing it. And you looked at the biggest name on this report, the guy that got the most money, Dennis Smith. He got $73,000 total while he was in school at NC State. You're telling me that if Bill Self at Kansas sees that, he's not going to say, well, shoot, we need to do some of this too to get people to come here. Because, I mean, the brand recognition of Kansas alone is not going to win out over $73,000. And the funny thing about Kansas, too, is it seems they have not had huge success with some of their, like, top five-star guys compared. Like, you look at, like, the recent years, guys like Billy Preston and uh, Cliff Alexander and guys like that have kind of flamed out. Whereas Frank Mason and Devontae Graham. I forgot Graham. about Cliff Alexander. Yeah. Yeah, God, I've heard that <laughs> Easy to forget time. about. <laughs> and uh, Czech Diallo and guys like that are just have not really turned into what they thought. And it's been guys like the under-the-radar the, under guys that have kind of turned into their studs. So it's kind of funny how that's worked out. But, yeah, I mean, it, and Dennis Smith, I mean, it's not surprising. Like He was kind of uh, – he was one of the 
top two, three players in the country coming out. He had a huge, like, uh, just cult following just coming out as a recruit based on highlights and what he'd done. And, uh, and to have that kind of kid go to NC State, you always thought, well, that was kind of interesting. Um, but you had about 70, he said about 77,000 in loan, like, uh, said Loans, to him. I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. Here. Yeah, it's the, the we'll give you money and you'll pay us back whenever you get to the league. But it's yeah. also, so we, so we talked about how the teams end up in a, in a weird situation where because one team does it, the other team has to do it because they were high stakes and we've got coaches that are, that can be fired. I mean, it's the same way for agents, right? Like, you yeah. think about how cutthroat and competitive yeah. that business is. So if, you know, if I'm an agent, but Jacob is an agent and he's paying guys and he's getting these guys that end up being pretty good in the NBA, and I'm not doing it. I've got to answer to bosses too and say, "Hey, how? Why are you not getting the top flight guys going to the NBA?" It's all such a tough cycle to break. Well, I just try to undercut Jacob and tell his his prospective <laughs> clients that he's always late to meetings. So you know, right? <laughs> we could do that. We could do that. Just. Let it be known that you guys live in Lincoln and I live in Omaha, so that's, I, I can't just roll out of bed and get here in five minutes. Actually, it took me longer to get here, too, than die uh, ice out there. It is but, really nice yeah. living five minutes from this office, I'll tell you that. But back to the main point here, can you imagine like what kind of situation that's putting the kids in? I mean, a lot of these guys are coming from like low-income families. Um, they're not exactly um, financially secure, and you've got, at the very least, like one of the the a lot of the players listed in this are mentioned on a list of guys that have that had lunch with mm-hmm. uh, Andy Miller or Christian Dawkins, and that the agents may uh, have paid for, and so that's landed guys on the list. Like you're telling, like, hey, uh, j- just listen. Uh, you have an agent like coming to you as a yeah, kid like, coming out of high school or com- kid coming out of college. Hey, just uh, just come listen to us. We just want to talk to you. Hey, uh, we'll take you out to a nice steak yeah, uh, steakhouse or whatever. Just, we'll just listen. What we're no pressure. Just listen to what we have to say. Carlos Delfino was named for seventy one dollars. Yeah, that's a, a ribeye. <laughs> like he's on there that's for seventy one dollars. So exactly what you're getting at. This just goes back to the amateurism, the sham that is, and just the whole. And Mark Emmert's uh, statement about um, just <laughs> systematic failure, and yeah, it's like, whatever. Well, yeah, but part of that systematic failure is with their system. Like, they built this system when there wasn't so much money involved in this. So once this amount of money is involved, everyone wants to get paid, and everyone else is being paid, except for the people that are the reason why you're going to see this game. So it ends up being a really weird situation. But I think ultimately, and just kind of talking about that meal situation, mm-hmm. I think that once we get to the punishment phase, whenever it is, we get to that. You may have to just kind of push those guys to the side, like just because of the depth and breadth of the situation. Like, hey, if you're, you know, a guy that's currently in school and you got in trouble, you're on this list because you had lunch with a guy. Eh, we're going to have to look the other way because we've really got to go after the, you know, AAU people, the shoe companies, the agents and the coaches um, that are committing major violations. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you had to see some sort of tier system yeah. with that, provided that the NCAA actually gets to do anything once you get the FBI being done with what they're trying to do. Yeah, there was a line in this story that that they might not be able to do anything because documents that they would need to see for investigations are sealed under protective order, that people that they would need to interview can't be interviewed because they're involved in the criminal cases. Like, there's a very realistic possibility that a team could win the national championship this season, and everyone in the country knows, including the NCAA, that this national title is going to get vacated. So... Um, 
there's a lot of players on this. Miles Bridges at Michigan State, Josh Jackson at Kansas, Nolan's Noel at Kentucky, Bam, Markel Fultz, number one overall pick. Your, your boy Kyle Kuzma. Kuzma's on here. Hey, I've got to look. I've not had a chance to like fully yeah. dive into this, so I don't know. Does it, does, do either of you guys know offhand? Is the Kuzma one an agent paid him to then catch up on the back end? Yeah, I think he what? got like a nine thousand dollar. So basically, I don't. Yeah, that's it, not it, dinners. That's the, okay, yeah, that's yeah, the case. That's the though, that that wrong. agent made a real smart play because <laughs> he's going to end up making a lot more than nine thousand well, dollars. <laughs> this is a funny tweet that just came across my team. Isaiah Whitehead, uh, who went to Seton Hall, he yeah. was a five star recruit from New York, kind of stayed home. He Isaiah got, Whitehead got thirty seven thousand from Seton Hall. Markel Folds could have took Washington for a hundred thousand. He got a thousand. That's what uh, he got ten thousand or ten thousand, whatever it is. Uh, but then he didn't play. He played like what? We looked twenty five. Twenty five games. games. <laughs> but he was the number one overall pick. Don't tell me that that, that Washington is not going to use that when they're recruiting kids. We got the number one overall. pick. Oh, I'm sure they absolutely. Are. Yeah. Uh, last week when we predict was that last week or the week before when we no, predicted last week? It was last week mm-hmm. when you uh, went through the list of the sixteen top sixteen seeds and I think you went like unofficially eight for nine on your picks. Very nice. Of teams that me. were in I think I missed. I did not. Was Ohio, like you said Ohio State. And they weren't. And they were not on this right? list. Hmm. Which I was. Still I was a little surprised by that. by that. Well, but then you see the last few years of that mod is recruiting. And, well, um, yeah. And maybe that <laughs> well, but there's, there's a reason I mean, that mod isn't there anymore. I mean, this thing goes all the way back to Kyle Lowry. Yeah. And Brent, Brendan Haywood and Christian Iyenga, who got $12,000, by the way. Well, and that's a bad The investment. thing to be noted is this is one agency. Yeah. So there's oh, so just because a team hasn't been named yeah, doesn't mean great maybe this uh, is very. I mean, there are how many different agencies out there that deal in uh, college basketball and NBA prospects and things like that. So this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. So. Uh, Lon Kruger and Oklahoma were not named, and another team that was not named, Nebraska. Which and that's what I was just about to say. Does that make you look any differently at what Nebraska is doing? And I'm sure you guys have heard similar things, but I had heard that during recruiting processes, Tim Miles had been approached by different shoe companies um, and what have you about trying to place guys and all of that. And he's pretty much did, like just shut all of that down. So I'm wondering if that will make people look a little bit more favorably on him. And there'll be other, it's easy for us to say him because we covered them, um, but I'm sure there'll be other schools around the country too that you might go, huh, yeah. maybe we should be looking at them with a little bit different lens than what we have been if they don't end up being the name on any of this. We're going to get to a conversation that I had with Stuart Mandel from The Athletic here in a little bit, but right now I want to get an update from Greg on recruiting because recruiting never sleeps and there was a whole batch of offers that went out and you've got some news for us. Yeah, there was, so I'll get to the, the batch of offers and kind of recap a little bit of that. But the, this week, and I say I keep saying randomly on a Tuesday because it is kind of odd that we're towards the end of February and you have a large group of guys from out of state come in on unofficial visits on a Tuesday to Lincoln when half of the coaching staff is on vacation. So what I mean is, is you had a, a group of players from Martin Luther King High School in Detroit, Michigan, that came in, and there were others that were there as well, but the, the two from the school in Detroit – um, 2019 four-star safety Marvin Grant um, and 2020 wide receiver Rashawn Williams were two of the, the more bigger-name guys that were here. I actually talked to Marvin Grant. I'll have some more um, on him uh, coming to the website here soon. But these are a couple of guys that will end up being national recruits. I mean, Marvin Grant, the 2019 safety, already has Michigan and Ohio State offers, among others, um, heading into his senior year. Um, so he's 
going to be a, a pretty, at least a, a strong regional recruit, probably end up being a national recruit. Um, he was very, had nothing but positive things to say about his trip to Nebraska. So it's always good to get new players in a state that doesn't produce a lot of players for Nebraska. Nebraska doesn't recruit Michigan, at least historically, all that well. Maybe they'll try to change that now with this new staff. Get those guys on campus. It's always golden to have guys come in. Um, with the offers, you saw a lot of offers in two particular areas that went out. You saw a lot of West offers go out, Arizona, California, of course. And then you saw Nebraska hit the South as well again. Georgia, defensive players in Georgia seem to be something that Nebraska really, really wants to try to get a foothold and get in on. Um, I know that Eric Chenander, I think that's his main recruiting area. It's um, a good place is, is to down do in it. Georgia. Yes, it is, because Georgia can't take everyone. Like, I know that that sounds bad, um, but they're going to get the cream of the crop, and then there are so many I think we looked, it was, I believe it was 36 five and four star players in Georgia alone last year. So they can't take them all because they're also taking five stars from other states. So they have a huge machine going right now. It feels like Georgia took them all, though. It does, because I do think that that's, I think that Georgia class for 2018 was the best recruiting class I've ever seen. Like, I think that's up there with some of those Pete Carroll USC classes that when they were bringing in Reggie White and Lind- or Reggie Bush and Lindale White in the same class. Like, I think that the, it, it's that good. Uh, but Nebraska also had a slew of offers go out in California, some, some quality receivers, some tight ends out there. Um, and then the other big thing that happened this week, JUCO offensive tackles. Um, there were a handful of JUCO offensive tackles that Nebraska put offers out from, trying to get in touch with a couple of those guys um, to see what their situations are. Because the thing is, is it's one thing that when a JUCO lineman gets an offer, it's great, and Nebraska needs immediately an immediate help on the offensive line. But you've got to make sure those academic situations are in order and to see when they're actually going to be on campus, whether it's a mid-year enrollee or it'll be next June. Cool. So there's always stuff going on. There's <laughs> a lot of stuff going on, Recruiting yeah. Recruiting never does go away. I, I get to stay busy with that. We're going to take a short little break, I guess. And when we come back, we'll have my talk with Stuart Mandel from The Athletic. Joining me now to offer some outside perspective on Husker Hoops, I want to welcome in Stuart Mandel, Editor-in-Chief of The All-American at The Athletic. Stuart, how's it going, man? Thanks so much for taking the time to join the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my first question for you doesn't really have anything to do with basketball, and it's more for my own curiosity than anything else. Fopolini does a mailbag for you guys every week. Um, how, did, how did that get started? Did you guys go to him, or did he come to you? Um, we went to him. Obviously, I've followed him for a long time, as, as most college football fans have, and he's hilarious. And I, I remembered him writing a few stories here and there over the years for, um, I think, mostly for SB Nation, and I thought... Um, you know, this guy's really funny. Why hasn't he, you know, had a regular writing gig? So I got in touch with him and it was something he was interested in doing. And, you know, we're a subscription-based site. Our whole business model it relies on people to sign up for subscriptions. And the more we can give them um, to entice them, the better. And it certainly has worked out well. I mean, obviously, kind of the X's and O's bread and butter football is the bulk of our content. But if we can also give you a hilarious life advice column from a parody Nebraska, former Nebraska coach, all the better. And it's, it's been, um, you know, it's been a fantastic relationship and we're thrilled that he opted to continue it through the off season. Yeah. He's, he's a pretty funny guy. Is he as funny in person as he is online? Uh, he's a funny guy, but I, I mean, we'll say he's definitely, 
um, you know, he's definitely playing a character. He's just a regular guy, uh, a lawyer in Chicago, wife and kids, um, who just has developed this. And I think the most amazing thing about his online persona is that we're now, what, three or four years removed from actual, hopefully actually being the Nebraska coach. And you would think maybe it would have died then, but it's, he, he lives on and frankly has almost nothing to do with the original, you know, impetus behind it at this point. Yeah, it's pretty great. And he's spawned kind of everybody wants to be like foes. So you see all those old fake accounts. Um, jumping right into right into Nebraska, I kind of just want to get your thoughts on their season as a whole before we talk uh, about the resume, before we hammer the resume. Um, if I had told you before the season started that this would be, that, that this team would be in a position to close out the regular season with 22 wins and 13 conference wins, would you have questioned my sanity? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's the Big Ten as a whole, has had a lot of, um, you know, has not gone for the most part the way people predicted it before the season. Nobody thought Ohio State would be contending for the championship by any means. Northwestern is supposed to be building on its tournament season, not going in the other direction. And so Nebraska's obviously been a big part of that as well. Um, we'll get into this with the um, with the bubble talk about how they got to the 21 wins. But regardless, given their record the past few seasons, it's a uh, you know, it's a fantastic accomplishment. They, they've got a, a mixed resume, kind of depending on who you ask and how you frame it. Um, they've got three uh, Ken Palm top 50 wins with one or two still left on the table, but they've only got one group one win so far. Um, there's that Minnesota game earlier this season that is a little weird, um, given all the stuff that's happened to the Gophers since. And they didn't really have a bad loss until they lost to Illinois on Sunday. Um, we're going to get to the conference tournament in a second, but looking at their regular season body of work, in your eyes, have the Huskers done enough to earn a bid for the NCAA tournament? So this is where I'm going to be very unpopular, yeah, podcast guest. Uh, no, they haven't. They're not there yet. And frankly, you know, and I do my bracket, they're not really that close. You know, when you look at the teams that are in the mix for a bubble spot, I mean, my bracket on Tuesday the last few were Baylor, St. Bonaventure, UCLA, Syracuse. Well, I've got a whole list of other teams after that, Washington, Louisville, Marquette, USC, et cetera, that would be, you know, first in line, if you will, before Nebraska. It's a strange thing. I, knowing I was coming on this, I, I gave the resume another look, and it's just the strangest thing that a team can get to 21-9 and nine and, uh, and in particular get to 12-5 and five in a major conference and have just so few uh, what the NCAA committee would consider to be quality wins. Yeah, it's a function of of their. They have just a really bad non-conference strength of schedule, and then the like you said, the Big Ten is down. If if they beat the Penn Big State, Ten is down, and they also caught some bad luck where, and this is you know this is one of the consequences of having these bloated fourteen team conferences. And I know the Big Ten is going to twenty games next year, so that'll help. But you know, there's basically only three teams in the conference that can help. You're, you know, um, Ohio State, Michigan State, Purdue, Michigan a little bit. We'll throw Michigan in there. So those are the four teams that you can get Q1 wins against. And they only played each of them once. Um, they played all but Michigan on the road, which is obviously a lot harder. So it's just, I mean, it's, they start with a bad non-conference schedule. Then you just don't get many chances in the uh, conference schedule to get those Q1 wins. And that's how they find themselves in the position they are today. Uh, if they beat Penn State on Sunday, um, they're assured a double bye in the Big Ten tournament, and then they'll probably get a, a rematch with Michigan in that first game. And if mm -hmm. they win that, they could get Ohio State again. Um, 
if they do they need to to beat Michigan and they're in or or have a shot at getting in or do they need to beat Michigan and then Ohio State or do they need to just win the whole tournament I mean there's a, there's a definitely the possibility that they need to win the Big 10 tournament um I think if the bracket plays out right where they could play like you just said play two of those teams before the championship game that that would definitely put them much more in the discussion I mean the the way I look at it is um, they're, you know, they're, let's see here, they're one in six against Q1 teams. That's, that's not good. And even if you throw in, you know, the next column the three and two in the, in the Q2, that's four and eight. Uh, it's a little trickier to explain this now than when it was just RPI top 50, RPI top hundred. If you were four and eight against the RPI top hundred, obviously that would not be good. Um, so as I look at these teams that I do have on the board, they all have at least two Q1 wins, if not three or four. So I think they got to get at least two more to get in the mix. And then you got to hope that some of these other teams on the bubble um, don't step up in their own conference tournaments and, and, you know, improve their own resumes that much more. I think the, the, the belief, at least in Nebraska internally, is that they sort of control their destiny a little bit in the sense that they just needed to win the rest of their games they need to win a couple in the, the Big Ten tournament, and they should be good. Um, so what you're looking at is that that's not the case. They've got to have some help from teams like USC, teams like Texas, other teams that are on the bubble that need to close out on, I guess, a downturn. Yeah, you know, in the years doing this, it seems like every year people are like, oh, this is the worst mix of bubble teams I've ever seen. And so, like, you know, you're just you go into the conference tournament and you just you're hoping that anybody will just win one meaningful game and, and make it easier to justify picking them. And often that doesn't even happen. It's kind of the opposite this year. It's very, um, on, where it's unimpressive is in the middle of the bracket where a team like Oklahoma can be 6-9 and nine in the Big 12 and still be safely in. Uh, but when you get down to the bubble, I mean, you look at a team like Washington, they, they won at Kansas. They beat both Arizona schools. And right now I have them out, just barely, but out. Um, you know, Marquette has beaten Seton Hall twice. They won at Creighton. They won at Providence. Those are all teams that are projected to be in the tournament. You know, these are not necessarily awful resumes. So um, Nebraska, it's kind of a double. There, there's two things working against them. One is the lack of quality wins. The other is, and I see this every year, their non-conference strength of schedule is 266. Every year, almost every year, I see a team that's right on the bubble, and that is the thing that keeps them out because the committee is very very um big on wanting teams to challenge themselves out of conference wanting to send that message and so there'll be a team that maybe has all the other pieces and they get left out because their non-conference strength of schedule is in the 200s or even 300s so and that's not going to change obviously there's nothing they can do about that so i i think I, i'm not going to go and say like they have to win the big 10 tournament obviously that would be the safest way in but I definitely think they need to add. They need they need the Big Ten tournament to work out in a way where they could beat at least two of those top four teams in the conference, and then, like I said, hope that the rest of the bubble um, does not step up and play its way in. Right. You mentioned that that non-conference strength of schedule, and it's really bad. But they had two games uh, in the non-conference that were that were high opponents. They had the the late loss to Creighton, and then that one point loss at home to Kansas in mid December. And those are two games that really seem to just keep coming back to bite them in the butt a little bit. 
how much of the discussion around this team would be different right now if they had pulled out maybe even just one of those wins? Say they they beat Kansas at home. Well, I mean, I think you beat Kansas, who is a projected number one seed right now. Yeah, it would be a completely different conversation. Because right now they've only got one Q1 win. It's against Michigan, who, you know, I think I had a seven seed the other day. Maybe there'll be a six seed. It's not the same as, you know, like I just listed Washington beating those teams that are, um, you know, they won at Fog Allen and they beat Arizona, will probably be a top three or four seed. So, I mean, they're not just wins in a column. They're wins that really stand out. So, you know, it, it would it would have made a big difference. And also the other thing I would say is um, I think fans sometimes, and rightfully so, say, well, we almost won that game. Like, doesn't that show we can play with those teams? And the committee has said time and again, like, it doesn't matter if you lose by one point or 40. They don't really look at margin of victory at all. A loss is a loss. Yep. Uh, on the, the Big Ten as a whole, um, it's been a, a weird season. Purdue looked like it might get a number one overall seed, and then they lost three straight. Ohio State has dropped a couple. Uh, Michigan State has built some serious holes for itself. Early in games, they've clawed out, but they haven't looked great to begin games. Um, and then the rest of the conference is just kind of – down what what's going on in the big 10 this season as you see it well everything's cyclical in, in college football and college basketball there were many years where the big 10 was absolutely looted and the sec and basketball was terrible and now this year you know the sec went out and hired a bunch of good coaches and now the sec is probably gonna send eight teams to the NCAA tournament and the big 10 may only send four so you know there, there's many factors behind that obviously in a sport where there's a lot of turnover from year to year players cycle out um, you know, sometimes you just have years like this. But I, I think what's hurt the Big Ten this year is in particular in the middle of the conference, right? Um, I mean, we expected Michigan State to be in this position. We kind of expected Purdue. Maybe they've, they've overachieved a little bit. And Ohio State's obviously been a surprise team. But, you know, obviously going into the season, Northwestern was expected to be even better than they were last year when they went to the second round of the NCAA tournament. They've been a complete disappointment. Indiana going through a coaching change is probably not playing as well or doesn't have as good a record as necessarily their their talent would reflect. Wisconsin is going to miss the NCAA tournament for the first time in two decades. So and then Minnesota lost one of its key players and you know it's not nearly the team that it looked like it might be at one point in the season. So I think that's what's really hurt the Big Ten. If you were talking about a conference that had um, you know even five or six NCAA tournament caliber teams, people wouldn't necessarily be talking about how down the conference is. But right now, you've got really just those four. And in your in your brackets, you've consistently had just four teams getting in. Is that is that how you see it end up being? Just the Big Ten gets four bids, unless somebody outside of those four teams wins the conference tournament. Yeah, I think so. Penn State has kind of snuck into the picture lately. They're very high in Ken Palm, and not so much in RPI, but they're high in Ken Palm. And there was a feeling that they could just string together a couple wins. They might be able to sneak in, and but they missed that opportunity um, the other night with a home game. You know, if they just could have beaten Michigan at home, that would have been an opportunity there. They didn't win that game, so uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not really liking their chances either. And by the way, just in case people think like I'm unnecessarily dissing Nebraska, you know, there's a site called BracketMatrix.com you can go to that has that really calls every single bracket projection they can find on the internet, over a hundred of them to get kind of like, what's the, what's the composite right now. And I just looked it up and, you know, they have their first four out and then they have their next four out 
And then Nebraska is one, two, three, fifth in the list of the teams after the next four out. So it's it's pretty bleak. And uh, I've seen there's they're only in like five brackets out of all of the brackets that are out there. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I guess just bad timing on the Huskers' part. They should have saved the 20-win come-from-out-of-nowhere year for when the Big Ten wasn't so down. Yeah. And 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 um, there's always one now. There's always one team, right? Last year, a lot of us got all 68, so I guess there weren't any surprises last year. But often, there's one team that nobody, none of the bracketologists had in there, and then the committee picks them, and vice versa. Um, but you know, again, so I already listed all these other problems they're dealing with. We have started to see the committee use Ken Palm and other advanced metrics a little bit more. Not you know, the, the the team sheet that they look at is still structured almost entirely around RPI. That's the quadrants that we're talking about. But I have seen, starting to see examples of if a team is particularly high or particularly low in Ken Palm and they're on the bubble, that you can tell that's the reason they did or didn't get in. And so this year, for the first time, they are actually putting right on the team sheet those rankings right at the top. So if Nebraska, like we just talked about Penn State, if Nebraska were unusually high in one of those, Maybe that would be the, the help, but I'm looking at it, and they're 60th in BPI, 56th in Pomeroy, 58th in Sagarin, 58th in RPI. So that's not helping their cause either. Nope. And they were steadily moving up all of those uh, over the last month, and then the, that Illinois loss just really kind of set them back. If you guys as listeners aren't subscribing to The Athletic, I don't really know what to tell you. Um, you just don't like good sports coverage, I guess. There's plenty of fantastic coverage from all over the country. You can get faux, like we talked about. You can get weekly bracketology updates, uh, and then just loads of good stuff from everywhere, really. I'm a subscriber, and I have been since the days in Chicago, and I've always loved it. Um, I'll put a link in the description if you guys decide that you need that in your life, because you should. Um, Stuart, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me, and thanks for your support of The Athletic. Yeah, no problem. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, you too. So Stuart Mandel thinks that Nebraska needs to basically win out, uh, stack up the quality wins to have a shot at the NCAA tournament. Obviously, that's going to start with Sunday's game against Penn State. Jacob? I'll, I'll turn to you for this one. This is going to be a big game. Uh, how do you think that this this Sunday matchup, this 415 tip, it's at Pinnacle Bank Arena, how do you think this thing plays out? I think they're, they're going to have a, a really solid home crowd, and I think that, that could play a big difference. Yeah, well, big news yesterday with, uh, with Mike Watkins being ruled out. He uh, is... Penn State's a stud sophomore center, leading rebounder. Yeah, average well, twelve and nine, a um, couple blocks a game. He uh, gave Nebraska big problems in the first uh, game. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like he had twenty and fifteen on him with Roby trying to uh, uh, play at the five, kind and of like early and he had on. Eighteen, eleven, and eight blocks against them last year. Yeah, exactly. So he's a guy that's really given Nebraska problems on both ends, like every phase of the game, really. Offense, defense, rebounding. And not only are you going to miss his production, but they do not have depth, particularly inside. Like their top, their starting five is really solid, one of the best in the league. Their bench is not anywhere close to that. So that this now kind of uh, presses one of their reserve bigs into the starting lineup and into big minutes. And I don't know if they got a guy that can handle that and uh, play well. 
Also, but on the other hand, in that first game, um, Josh Reeves, um, who is just an absolute stud defender on the wing, a good shooter. Um, he uh, steals blocks like crazy. Like he's a guy I know. Uh, some NBA draft Twitter people um, that I follow, they they really keep an eye on him just because of how good he is defensively. And he was not eligible for that previous game. So, uh, and Penn State won that one, also not at full strength. I think Watkins being out um, is just as damaging, if not more so, than um, uh, Reeves being out. And I also think Nebraska is better now than they were when they played Penn State the first game. They're also infinitely better at home than they are on the road. That is also true. And that game was a a Tony Carr game winner in overtime away from a win for Nebraska. So I think you have to feel good about Nebraska's chances going into this one based on all those factors that we just mentioned. And also, um, I think what you're going to need to see is a guy like Isaac Copeland. Um, You look at that last game against Indiana and how much Nebraska struggled in that first half. A lot of it was Copeland missing wide-open shots that he's been making during this last stretch and shots that he has to hit, like the mid-range wide-open jumpers, a couple of threes, um, chance to score inside. Like, he's got to convert, especially if Palmer isn't in, like, supernova mode. Um, you need Copeland to be that second scorer as opposed to just being another guy. Because I, I don't know if you can rely on anybody else. I mean, Jordy Schmanga was like 0 for 6 from the field or whatever in the first half and all around the rim. Um, you had some other guys like Glenn Watson. You can't rely on him to be a scorer anymore. So you need Copeland as that kind of consistent second scorer along with Palmer. And so I think uh, if you can get Copeland locked in, and he's playing well and knocking down shots, and Nebraska will be fine. I think there's also some situational dynamics at play here because Nebraska still very much is in play for for being in the conversation as a bubble team and as a team that could get into the tournament. Uh, they've still got they still need quality wins. On the other side, Penn State lost to Michigan on Wednesday. Uh, they had a shot at moving into that top four and getting a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. They had a shot at being on the bubble. They were on a pretty solid run, and Michigan beating them kind of popped that. So you might see a team that has a ton to lose in Nebraska, and then on the other side, a team in in Penn State that might not have as much to play for. And I think that that could be – like there's always the the flip side that, well – that team has nothing to lose, and you know Nebraska come out tight. I don't think that they'll come out tight. I think they'll come out kind of firing on all cylinders because they haven't looked good. And like you said, James Palmer Jr. hasn't been supernova. James Palmer Jr. in the last couple games, he had 15 uh, last time out, and then 13 the game before that. I don't know. I think I think they're they'll be in good shape. But I thought they were in good shape for Illinois. So I think. We should be in for a fun game. No sit Sunday. Greg, are you going to be at this game? Probably not. I'll be watching. Um, the only thing, and I know you don't think that they'll come out tight. They'll, I get nervous in these situations where the, the crowd is going to be really hyped up, and I think it'll be a great crowd. Um, the team knows that they're, they're in a must-win situation, and the other team has nothing to lose. <laughs> like I, I do get nervous about that, because I don't think that Nebraska basketball has turned the corner enough to where you can feel totally confident in those situations. Um, nothing about this game, though, says that they should lose it except for that gut feeling that it's just a weird situation it's not Nebraska (laughs) it's not a good setup but Penn State like you just lost a game that really is kind of a a morale breaker Mm -hmm. to Michigan and then on top of that you lose a major major part of what you do on a basketball court 
and, yep. and Mike Watkins. That That's the part that makes me have some pause, though, that Nebraska would come out um, and lay an egg here is because it's it's going to be tough for Penn State because that is a major component. Um, and once you take that rebounding factor out of there, um, it, it's going to be really difficult for them. I, so I think I have the answer to my next question, but I just want yes or no real quick from the two of you. Okay. Do they make it? I said no. I'll stick with it. Okay. And hope no. to be surprised. Okay. No. Okay. Man. What do you say? <laughs> I thought I thought that they were going to until that Illinois loss, but I think that Illinois loss really hurts. Yeah, I agree with I that. I think that could be kind of a a, a death note. Well, I that, guess. like I kind of wrote in my recap, like that was their their strongest arguments were how well they did in the Big Ten and how strong their overall like win record was. They hadn't had any loss. Well, I think their strongest the argument, teams. yeah, was that was that we don't have a lot of quality wins, but we don't have any bad losses. Yes. Other teams sure. have bad losses. We have no bad losses because St. John's has beaten two number ones. UCF has gotten better. Illinois was like 176 in RPI. Like, that's a bad loss. And it's a bad conference loss, too. So it's like you can't even point to, oh, we cleaned up in the Big Ten. It doesn't matter if it's bad. We beat everybody. Well, no, you didn't. It will be interesting to monitor going forward. We're going to wrap it up on that note. We'll be back next week. We'll be talking more, hopefully more basketball. We'll be talking a little bit more recruiting with Greg if he's around. And uh, we'll have coverage on the Penn State game through the weekend. We'll have plenty of coverage on site. Greg's got a recruiting recap going up on site shortly. Special thanks to Stuart Mandel for joining us this week. And uh, that'll do it. Thanks, guys.